Welcome to season three of the Renew.org Network podcast. We are back. Yes, sir. This is Dave Stovall. I'm Jason Henderson. We're just pumped to be doing season three. Thanks for tuning in, guys. Yeah. And when you tuned in, you either saw for the first time or you may have noticed a change if you've heard season one and two. We used to be formally known as the Renew Church Leaders Podcast. And now we are the Renew.org Network Podcast. We thought that would be more apropos. And, uh, what a word. <laughs> it just Enlighten is- me, Jason. What does apropos mean? So this is a better description. I'm from Alabama. <laughs> this is a better description of what we are all about. This, is, this podcast is not just for church leaders. You're going to find that everyday disciple makers, every member of the church, the whole body of Jesus, will be encouraged and edified and equipped by this podcast. And so we thought it'd be easier to find on Apple iTunes and in the Google Play uh, directories if we just called ourselves the Renew.org Network Podcast. So don't be confused if you see that change in your feed. If you're not subscribed, click subscribe. And when you share this with others, make sure you have the Renew.org Network Podcast as the name that you want to share. Plus, it just feels super cool, doesn't it, to say, the podcast formerly known as. That's, we are the podcast. We are like Prince level of podcasts. <laughs> I love it. I love it. So we're going to kick off with some of the best of 2019. We're going to include talks from the 2019 National Renew.org Gathering, for example, and today is no exception. The first up, today's episode is going to be Dave and Sydney Clayton. Uh, we have heard Dave Clayton on this podcast in the past. I'm not sure if Sydney, but they were together on stage. They kicked the day off. And in fact, uh, actually, if we're being technical about it, you kicked the day off yeah. along with George Pendergrass and Sherry Adams. And man, that was, I just am honored to be sharing the stage with them. And I thought about this afterwards about how um, the three of us come from three different 90s groups. Like I was an audio adrenaline, George was an acapella. And Sherry was in Avalon. So it's just really funny, kind of throwbacky. Triple A combo. Triple A combo. Yeah, I was, it was it was really cool to to worship with them. You guys did you did a really good job with worship. That Thanks, was, man. So for those that don't remember, the national gathering was themed uh, this year, Gospel Allegiance, and the verses were from Romans 1, 16 and 17. Let me read those to you. I am not ashamed of the gospel because it is the power of God for salvation to everyone who believes. First to the Jew, then to the Greek, for the gospel reveals the righteousness of God that comes by faith from start to finish, just as it is written, the righteous will live by faith. And Dave and Sydney, they had uh, the piece of this uh, scripture, I am not ashamed of the gospel to talk about. Man, you know, they were really, Dave uh, in particular, got really transparent. Mm -hmm. And, And I would challenge the listener, when you hear them talk, you should be transparent with yourself. They're, they're going to challenge you in, are you ashamed of the gospel? And I think on the surface, it's like, how would you answer that? You say no. Right. Of course me, not. Me too. And but so, then like brass tacks comes along and it's like, let's talk about this with somebody who doesn't believe it. Or maybe somebody who's like an evangelical atheist. Yeah. Then, what, then what's your feeling? What I loved about Dave and Sydney's talk was, like you said, how transparent they both were. Because as a church leader myself... Seeing other church leaders being transparent about where they are now and where they were then is just so important for me because I don't want to be starting from a foundation of thinking I'm further along than I actually am. We just had a meeting the other day talking about how we got to be careful that we're not doing a bunch of spiritual things and feeling spiritual when in reality, 
We're not even spending alone time with the Lord. We're not even praying and fasting and actually being spiritual people. We're just working all the time <laughs> and, and like deceiving ourselves. And, and that was just really important for me to hear Dave talking like that. Like there was a time where, yeah, I was acting like I was ashamed and I don't want to be that way anymore. And I just feel like God really honors that when we come to him, no matter what we're feeling and no matter where we are. And we say, this is where I really am and I need your help to get out of this. That's good, Dave. And so I would just challenge the listener because there's one part in particular where Dave shares a story because, you know, he's built Ethos Church. It's in the urban area of Nashville. He's killing it with like 18 to 40 year old, like young and millennial folks. And you're thinking to yourself, man, Dave's not a guy who's ashamed to share the gospel. Look right. at who he's reaching. But then he he kind of tells about, well, but where else can the devil get a foothold and make you ashamed? And it's like, he tells a story about his kid and one time when one of his kids shared the gospel and it's like, oh no, now I got to worry about, you know, people bullying and making fun of and what, what's my kid's experience going to be like in reality when he goes out and share, and you know, they're just being transparent. It's like the devil will take whatever he can. It's like, oh, you're confident about sharing it yourself. Well, what if I get Mm -hmm. one of your other loved ones and give you a little anxiety about how they're perceived? Anyways, challenging. It's a great talk. I hope you guys enjoy it, and let's dive in. So glad you're here. As uh, we get started this morning, can you just help me show just a little bit of love and appreciation to Bobby and Jason and Melissa and the Renew team and, and Harpeth community? Man, what what a gift to, to have leaders like you and a church like this that cares more about the big kingdom than just your small kingdom. And we know this takes so much effort and work and energy. And man, what a gift to be here uh, together. Open up your Bibles with us to Romans chapter 1, verse 16. This is where we're going to be all day, so you can just keep your Bibles open uh, to this verse. And we're going to look at the first part of it together this morning. It says, for I'm not ashamed. Say, I'm not ashamed. I'm not ashamed. Of the gospel, because it's the power of God that brings salvation to everyone who believes, first to the Jew and then to the Gentile. For I am not ashamed. You know, our church uh, that we planted 11 years ago is celebrating our birthday this week. And so we've been celebrating our church's 11th birthday, which has been so much fun in the, in the world of church planting to survive 11 years feels like just a monumental moment. So we've been, we've been celebrating all week. And as we've done that, we've kind of reflected back on some of the moments, you know, some of those key moments. And I I was reminded recently of this moment about six months before our church started, where we were in that phase of trying to build a team and we were trying to pull people together. And so it felt like every night of the week, we'd have people in our home and Sydney would make a meal and we would cast vision and we would ask for money and we would ask for prayer and we would ask for money and we'd ask people to serve and we'd ask for money. And it was just kind of that season where we were trying to get people together around this mission of reaching the loss that God has called us to. And I remember this one night in particular we had a group of about 10 or 12 adults in our, in our home who had spent the majority of their lives in church in some shape, form, or fashion. And they were excited about this mission that God had given us. And we had two questions that evening that we wanted to wrestle with. And the first one was this. We said, how long have you been a follower of Jesus? Not how long have you been in church. How long have you been a follower of Jesus? And the room just kind of lit up. They went around and they told stories of how they came to faith and what it looked like to follow Jesus. And then we got to the second question of the night, which was supposed to be kind of that climactic moment where we expected everybody to be filled with inspiration and to charge the hill with us. The second question was, tell us a moment 
from your journey of faith where you've shared the gospel with somebody that you're not related to, not married to, tell us a moment when you've shared the gospel and you've seen it transform somebody from the inside out as they begin to follow Jesus. And here's, here's what struck us in that moment. I'm not exactly sure what we expected, but it went in a way that we never anticipated. The joy that was in the room during the first question as they reflected back on their experience in church just evaporated and it went silent because in that room where more than 500 years of faith were represented, not one person could remember a moment where they shared the gospel with someone they weren't related to and saw someone come to Jesus. And, and we're like, whoa. And there's this, this moment where we were reminded of just how easy it is to spend your whole life in church to really affirm the words of Romans 1.16 that, man, we're not ashamed because this is the good news. It's the power of God. It's easy to affirm it, but to never experience the reality of Romans 1.16 for yourself. And so this morning, as we begin our time together, we just kind of want to stop and go, why is it that Paul was not ashamed, but so many of us are operating as though we are? And what does it look like to break free of that as we start living out the power of the good news that Jesus has given us? And Dave and I kept noticing that there was this pattern, this cycle that kept coming up, that we felt convicted, but then we felt a little bit paralyzed, and it didn't really bring action into that. And we were having a conversation with our friend Dave Wilson, and he's just an incredible evangelist in Nashville, especially in the business sector, and he really gave us a handle. He gave us the vocabulary to name what we were seeing and what we were experiencing. And we really want to give you that handle to give you a common vocabulary. And he called it the evangelism guilt cycle. And for those of you who are type A, anal, retentive like me, there's going to be a slide up here for you. So you can copy along. I understand that. So we're going to walk you through this. This first step with the evangelism guilt cycle is that Holy Spirit convicts us, right? He convicts us that we know we should be sharing our faith. So the first step is I know I should. I know I should be sharing my faith. And that's where you get that revved up, you know, Holy Spirit conviction, and you could charge the hill. Then you go to charge the hill and you realize, I don't know how to do this. Like, I'm actually ignorant on what it looks like to take action in this moment. And that takes you to step two. But I don't know how to share my faith. And so now we're a little bit paralyzed of, okay, but, but, but I don't know how to do it. And then fear starts to creep in. And that's step three, is that I'm fearful to do it. And those lies of what if start coming through our brain. Like, what if I do this and it blows up in my face? What if I do this and it goes wrong? And fear because, becomes something that paralyzes us, and that leads us to step four. So I just won't try. I just won't do it. And that fear drives us to inaction. And isn't that exactly how the enemy works? Fear, right? And after the, you've now had this massive fear and you don't do anything, then you're reminded of the original conviction. And it throws you back into the cycle because you're reminded of the original conviction that said, you need to go share your faith but you didn't do it. So now you feel what? Guilty. You feel guilty about it. And what's funny is we've seen this play out, you know, with the people we're discipling. But this isn't just for people in our church on the back row who aren't doing anything. We're talking about evangelism guilt cycle that we've experienced together in our own family, even in just the past few weeks. Yeah, you know, Bobby asked us to come. He said, I want you to talk about what it looks like to live a life that's not ashamed. And I'm like, man, but what if we're sometimes still ashamed? 
And I'm just curious, even if you'd have the courage in this room, just raise your hand if you've had a moment where you found yourself in this cycle that Sydney just described where you heard the sermon, you knew you should be talking about it, you, were, you didn't know how to do it, you were scared, and so you got caught in this paralysis of fear. And so we had this moment just a few weeks ago where there was a woman who volunteers in one of our son's schools, and she called us, and one of our sons, we're just noticing he has this heart for people that don't yet know Jesus, and we're trying to foster that in him. And so this, this one day, he was having a conversation with a lady that works in the lunchroom at their school cafeteria. And uh, they started talking about faith. And he said, he said, what God do you worship? Which I thought, man, that's a, really, that's a really good question. I didn't teach him that. That's a great question. What God do you worship? And she said, well, I'm, I'm Hindu. I worship many gods. And it, and it broke his heart. He didn't tell us about this. We didn't know any of this was going on. And so he comes home and true story, he, he gets his Bible the next day, brings it to school. That's like extra brownie points for a preacher's kid, brings his Bible to school without us knowing. And over the course of the next several days in the lunchroom, he's showing his, his cafeteria worker the, the story of Jesus. And he's reading scriptures and he's showing the Bible. And this volunteer, who's friends with Sydney, calls us and she says, hey, I've got to tell you what I saw your son doing. He's sharing his faith in the cafeteria. And I'll be honest, in that moment, we had two really dominating feelings. And the first was just unbelievable joy and pride and excitement about what God was doing in the heart of our son and that he's beginning to live out what we've been trying to train him to do. But it was the second feeling that rose up in our spirit that caught us off guard and reminded us just how much this is still at work in us, even though we're trying to live boldly into the kingdom of God. That second feeling was just this feeling of fear. Like, man, like what if, what if the people in our school ostracize our kids? What if they come against our son? What if they look down on them? And guys, I'm embarrassed to even say that, but the reality is I realize, man, there's still these seeds of shame and fear that are at work in all of us. And the challenge when it comes to us living boldly with the gospel very rarely has anything to do with the, the person out there in the culture that's against you, or very rarely just that person on the back row in your church that's just checking the box. A lot of times it starts with us as leaders. Yeah. And coming face to face with the reality that most of us affirm Romans 1.16, but we still don't experience what Paul's talking about. Because in a culture that was so much more hostile than ours, he said, I'm not ashamed. <laughs> He said, I'm not ashamed of the gospel. Why? Because it's the power of God that changes lives. And so for our last couple of minutes, we want to talk about what does it look like to, in the culture that we're in to break out of this cycle that so many of us get caught in and to start experiencing the power of what Paul is speaking into. And we think if we want to experience it, there's a few things that we can embrace as leaders. It starts with clarity. It often moves to conviction. And then it lands in the place of community. This first one is clarity. And we really feel like this is the cornerstone, it's the foundation, and if we miss this, we can forget the rest. And clarity, what we want you to be clear on is the truth that God is good. A lot of us have forgotten that and have not let it settle in our heart, but God is good, and the story of Jesus is good news for all. Amen? Amen, right? That's foundational. And Dave and I were reflecting back on our own lives, and we were reminded of a time when we were ashamed of a good thing. And we started chuckling because isn't that really the definition of middle school in regards to your parents, right? In middle school, you know, you go from elementary school, mom, dad, you're eating lunch with me, to in middle school, you don't even let them walk within eight feet of you when you walk through the mall, right? It's like, I am embarrassed of you. And I was reminded of this time in eighth grade, you know, Every day, three o'clock, the bell rings, and we're dismissed to go outside for pickup. 
in the car rider line. And I will never forget, like I remember every day we were in that car rider line and you just saw this little hatchback Volkswagen rabbit. It was like burnt sienna color. Do y'all know what I'm talking about? I'm talking flashback to the seventies here. And it was a diesel car, so it was like, and it's like pumping black smoke out, you know? So everybody downwind is choking. And you just felt so bad for that kiddo that like as, they're, as the car is slowly pulling up and they get there, then they call your name. It's like adding insult to injury, right? Oh, they were calling my name. That was my car. And I was like, oh, so you're trying to like run before they call your name and dip into the car and, and duck as you drive away. And it would take a couple of years, so after middle school and high school, and I would reflect back and I go, man, I had good parents. And you know, what had shifted? Well, my parents hadn't shifted. They were good when I was in elementary school. They were good when I was in middle school. In fact, they were sacrificially good. They were two teachers on teacher salary, and they felt they needed to sacrifice and send my brother and I to this small private school because it was what was best for our family, and they sacrificed ever knowing a new car in that season because they were good. What had shifted from elementary to middle school was the culture I was in. It was my peers. It was the culture telling me, you should be ashamed of that good thing. Isn't that a mirror of what we find ourselves now in this culture? God is the same yesterday, today, and tomorrow, and he is good. Our heavenly father is a good father. He has not shifted. He has not moved, but our culture has shifted. And our culture has told us, you should be ashamed. Keep it to yourself. Keep it quiet. But we know better. And so, you know, part of the way that we break this cycle of shame that grips so many of us in the churches is just coming face to face with clarity on what is the good news and why is it good news and who does it point to. And so it starts with this place of clarity. The second place we find ourselves is in this place of Holy Spirit-filled conviction. Not just about the goodness of the gospel, but about the desperate situation that the people around us find themselves in when they don't know Jesus. And I think one of the, the challenges of the American church is a lot of our churches are devoid of Holy Spirit conviction when it comes to the eternal reality of the people that are around us. I remember years ago in my first job out of college, one of the guys that I was working for, his elementary school age son at the time, uh, went missing for five hours. And uh, I don't know if you're a parent, but if you're a parent, you know how terrifying it is to lose your kid for 10 minutes in Kroger. He lost his son for five hours. And I remember in that moment, we discovered what we always assumed to be true. And that is when a child goes missing, normal people go looking. Everybody stopped everything on their calendar. They, they shut down the, the meetings. They didn't go to lunch. They canceled the appointment. Why? Because a kid has gone missing. And I think part of the way we begin to experience the reality of Romans 1.16 is not just when we have clarity about the goodness of God in our lives, but when we're convicted by the power of the Holy Spirit that without Jesus, people are eternally separated from God. And unless that conviction comes in, we never experience what Paul talks about. It starts with clarity. It goes to conviction, and often it is put together in the context of community. And we're not talking about communities that are just filled with habitual churchgoers or cultural Christians. We're talking about communities that are marked by gospel-loving, spirit-filled disciples of Jesus. We're talking about communities where evangelism and discipleship are not just taught, they're caught, they're modeled, 
They're celebrated, they're experienced. I remember when I was in high school, we got a new youth pastor who was passionate about uh, evangelism, and he would reinforce that cycle that Sydney was talking about earlier. Every week he would teach us, but we didn't know how to do it. And it wasn't until a kid in our youth group said, hey, we don't need you to teach us any more sermons. We need, to show you, we need you to show us how to do it. We need you to model how to live this way out for the sake of those that are around us. And so the way that we begin, we believe that we begin to experience the good news of the gospel. It happens with clarity, it comes with conviction, and it happens in the context of community. You know, we've noticed that just in our own lives and within our church body is that, you know, the gospel is powerful and it's transformative. And when we allow that clarity to come in and that conviction and in the process of being bold in community and that encouragement, that lives change. In fact, this past year, there was a woman who came into our church because someone was bold enough to invite her and share their faith. And she walks through the doors as a practicing witch, actively practicing witchcraft. And as she comes through the doors, Holy Spirit meets her where she's at. And as she sits there in worship and she begins to worship, she has a true encounter with the living Jesus for the first time in her life. She reaches in her pocket, takes out her witchcraft cards, rips them up, tosses them in the trash, and continues to study with her friend over the next few weeks and is baptized. A life transformed. Yeah. Yeah. You know, the gospel isn't just the power of God to change those caught in witchcraft. It's the power of God to change those trapped in cultural Christianity. Think about a young guy in our church that spent his whole life in church but never met the real Jesus. He showed up at our church because of the girl that he was living with and sleeping with brought him there. And so they showed up and week after week he heard the story that he thought he already knew. And guys, I'm just telling you, the cross of Jesus still works. The resurrection of Jesus still works. And just hearing the same old story changed his old broken heart. God gave him a new life and we've watched him get married and have children and make disciples in amazing ways. It's the power of God to change lives. Or I think about all of the other young adults. I think about the young Muslim man that gave his life to Jesus last year because he had a vision of Jesus. And then one of our pastors sat down and told him the story he had never heard. And I go, guys, it's not that complicated. And we're here today not just to affirm what Paul felt about the gospel. We're not just to affirm that he wasn't ashamed. We're here saying, hey, God, would you let that be true of us? The good news about the gospel is that despite the stats and stories, it still works because Jesus is still king. And so whether you need clarity or conviction or community this morning, we're going to just close by praying over you that God would do that in your life. And so let's bow our heads. Let's pray as we enter into the rest of our day. Good Father, we're so thankful that you are consistent and you are good. Would you let that just settle into our hearts, that we would be just, that would be our cornerstone, that we have clarity on that. Would you let Holy Spirit convict our hearts that people are worth that uncomfortable conversation sometimes? God, would you give us good community and help us develop community that encourages us to be bold for your name's sake, Father? We just want to be used by you and not sedentary for you. We want to be on fire for you mm -hmm. and not lukewarm. So God, would you use us in the way only you can use us, God? We love you and we praise your name and are thankful for your son. It's his name we pray. Amen. Awesome. Dave and Sydney Clayton, nice work as usual. And I love the classic preaching 
use of the mnemonics to, to have three points, all starting with the letter C's, clarity, conviction, community. I love it when good preachers, good uh, orators use those types of things. Helps me remember. That's good. The thing that stood out to me the most was at the very end, Dave said, the cross still works. Ah. The resurrection still works. He's like, it's not complicated, guys. And that's just something that I try to remember in my own life, in sharing the gospel, and talking about the Lord with people, talking about scriptures, and even when it feels a little funny to do these things, especially at the beginning, the word is not going to come back void. The word is doing work in the people's hearts. It's not really my job to cut the heart of people, but the word is going to do that as I speak it and as I'm being faithful in saying what I feel like the Lord is telling me to say. Yeah, I agree. And and I like that point that where he says, you know, this isn't complicated. Like, I think a lot of times we get all anxious about sharing the gospel with others because we feel like, uh, I, this is all on me. Like, I'm going to fumble my words. And I'm what if I say fail. the wrong thing? What if and- I don't do it right? Yeah. And, and so we make a big deal out of it. I remember there was, there was a guy that I work out with and, um, I really was thinking like God was nudging me to get him in my T group, my transformation group, my discipleship group. And so here I'm like, I, th- I think, I think I'm really hearing this. Like I'm praying about it. I prayed and fasted. I was like building up my courage. Cause here's a guy that I'm going to see on a regular basis. Like we've been to each other houses, our kids play together. And like, I made this huge deal out of it. And I think I was like, maybe in many ways overcomplicating it. Yeah. And, uh, I wish I could tell you it was a success story, but after all that, I uh, I had this perfect providential, I thought providential um, time when it was just him and I in the gym. And so I I said, hey, I do this thing. Here's what it's all about. You interested in that? He was like, nope, no thanks. <laughs> and that was I'm, that. I'm sorry to laugh. It's very sad. <laughs> no, that was that. But that is kind of how it happens a lot of times, isn't it? it? It is almost laughable because of the amount of pressure I had put on myself and all the prep. And it's mm-hmm. like, not that it was bad. I mean, I was acknowledging the Holy Spirit, praying and fasting and wanting to do the right thing. So I think all that was good. But the, I think the amount of overcomplication that I put on it when it's just like, dude, just go ask the dude if this right. is something he wants to do. Turns out he wasn't. So uh, maybe it wasn't the right time. You know, maybe, who knows, maybe one day uh, he's going to come back and go, hey, are you still doing that thing? Uh, right, you never know. I'm still going to, like, get together with this guy. Our kids are still going to play together. Nothing nothing changed. It really was, like you, Dave said, it wasn't complicated. It wasn't a big deal. You've actually opened up a door now for stuff later on as you're around that person. Absolutely. You know what I mean? He now knows where you are what you think and what you believe. And so you never know when the day's going to come along and he's going to ask you more. But I would rather have been on this side of that question than still be sitting here going, Ooh, you know, when should I, when should I ask him? Right. Which you is, know, there's a guy, I have a friend of mine in my transformation group and uh kind of a similar thing. I've known this guy for a long time and he was raised um, Muslim He's a really good friend of mine from work back in the day when I worked at the mall. And uh, I just felt like I needed to bring up the Lord in the back in the stockroom where or hanging out and talking together. It turned out he was a huge fan of history. And he was very drawn to the person of Jesus. Just all these questions. And even though he wanted to do debate a lot of the times and, and kind of at this point in his life, he was kind of an angry agnostic or angry atheist. 
he would still want to talk about. And I would just try to be faithful and just whatever knowledge I had at the time or whatever I felt like the Lord was laying on my heart that day, I would try to be faithful and, and, and say those things. And this is a point in my life where spiritually, I was just totally, I mean, I was not in great shape, but I was still trying to be faithful in what I was saying and to be a light. Fast forward seven or eight years later, this guy is in my life again. And I felt and God had him on my heart every year to keep praying with this guy. I'm like, why am I praying with this guy? I'm not even, you know, we're not even really, we don't hang out with each other anymore. We're in totally different places. Well, now he's in my transformation group. And so like you, I'm waiting for this providential moment. And even though there hasn't been like this big lightning bolt moment, we're still doing it. Like I'm still being faithful. He's still being drawn and wooed. And it's this long process. And just to see God work in that way in his life. Because now he's a totally different guy. He loves the Lord. He loves to talk about things of God. I don't think he's a Christian yet, but he, man, you can just see God wooing him and drawing him to himself. And it's it's a beautiful thing to be faithful in a moment and you don't know what's happening and to get to see it later on. Like, oh my gosh, that's what it's for. Because he's mentioned that in this group. It's like, you know, in the stock room, you, I ask you this and you you said some things that have stuck with me. And I'm like, what? That's awesome. No way. That, yeah. How the, how the Holy Spirit used you in that moment. Yeah. But yeah, so you're right. And in both of these situations, I think, and it's something that you know I take away from this, is the Clayton's talked about conviction, knowing that the Holy Spirit conviction or, or having the Holy Spirit conviction about the eternal destiny of others. And I think Dave uh, uses a really powerful analogy about a missing child. And I don't know about you, but like eight and 10-year-old kid, like if, if we're out and like they're missing for 10 minutes, I'm like, oh, they kidnapped, like, right. you know, we're, you know, and he's like, when kids go missing, normal people go searching. That was and such a good quote. If you can have that kind of conviction about the lost in your life like that. And, mm-hmm. and if you believe, I think Sydney brought up the clarity early on. If you believe that God is good and the story of Jesus is good for those lost people, it's like, so so what are you waiting for? I mean, <laughs> right. The clarity part is so important too. I know for me and listeners of the podcast may know parts of my story where I kind of veered away from um, biblical Christianity and kind of went towards more of a liberal progressive Christianity. I was so confused about what I thought about God that I wouldn't dare try to share what I thought about God with somebody else. Sure. How much the enemy stifled me for those years because I didn't have any clarity. Totally in the same boat. And the Third Sea community, uh, they talked about like even cultural Christians. And that is the Christians, and I probably was of this ilk in terms of my background for many years. And that is people who maybe they've met a Jesus, but not the real Jesus. And I know I I grew up uh, thinking... Oh, okay, I get it. Jesus is like the cosmic cop, you know, like he's the guy with all the rules uh, and he just wants to tell me not to do anything fun. Right. And then I kind of, as I came back to the church, I think I met the transactional Jesus who it's like, oh, okay, so I get it. So actually, as long as I say the right things and pretend like, you know, I believe certain things, then I'm good forever. But then there's like the real Jesus and and that's, you know, Dave talks about the cross still works story of Jesus is still good for all. And sometimes it's somebody who may have heard the story and they hear it again and meet the real Jesus mm-hmm. and they're touched by it. The community part is was really lacking with me for many years. And that's what's so 
special to me about our church is that in our home groups, you know, we're preaching on Sunday mornings about this stuff. And then the questions that we have in the home groups are, what's the Holy Spirit nudging you to do? Who can you share this with? And you talk about that openly. Hey, I feel like the Lord is really nudging me, this was my story, to share like the gospel with this um, family, the Hindu family that I teach music lessons to. And I shared that. And then a week or two went by, somebody in the home group goes, hey, how's that going? And I was like, oh, you know, I haven't done it yet. And I'm like, I'm thinking, dang it, I need to be doing this. And that next week, I was able to have an opportunity to talk about Christ with them. It was short. It wasn't like this crazy moment like I pictured in my head. You know, we're talking about that earlier, but I did. I talked about Christ. I talked about what he does for us. And if I didn't have the community, I might not have done it. I might have just gone weeks and been like, oh, I don't even teach that girl music lessons anymore. So it may have just fallen away. But because somebody in my community said, hey, how's that going? I was like, oh, yeah, I need to do that because I said I was going to do it. You know, that that was the difference in actually going through with it. Yeah, that's so good. The community piece, the relational piece has to be there. It's it's. I guess I would say it's really difficult um, for us to be used um, to disciple others if if we haven't won a hearing through some sort of relational community way. Mm-hmm. Well, I would be remiss if I didn't talk about Renew.org's training in disciple making. If you're listening to this and you're like, man, I'm pumped, I'm fired up, Dave and Sidney Clayton have me convicted that I need to not be ashamed of the gospel, I want to share it with others, you might be wondering, Dave, Jason, how can I get one of these T groups you speak of? Mm. Uh, well, we have people who have been there, done that, and are experienced with it. They're proven disciple makers who are actively making disciples today, and they will come alongside you in sort of a mentoring fashion. Our training includes one-on-one coaching. It includes individual training in being a better disciple maker. And so if you're interested in that, if you want more information, you can send an email to info, I-N-F-O, at renew.org, and we will get you all the information you need. It's a really cool way to make better disciples with the help of others. We uh, will walk with you as you start your first discipleship group in a way that you've never done before. Dave does it. I do it. I do. Uh, we're leading groups uh, currently, and uh, you you might actually uh, be listening. You might be a church leader, and you're like, man, I only disciple people who are already walking in the door of my church. How do I get friends, neighbors that I know are not saved into one of these groups? That is um, the, some of the stuff we address in the discipling, individual disciple-making training as well. So please, anybody listening, if you're interested, info at renew.org, and we'll get you individual coaching in disciple making. Thanks for tuning in to another Renew.org Network podcast. Thanks for joining us for this season three. We've got a lot of cool stuff coming up. Uh, I know you're going to appreciate it. Thanks, Dave. Thank you, man. Talk to you guys soon.